0: Section 2 of A Flurry in Diamonds by Amos Chiptree This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn Chapter 4 Next morning, upon reaching the store, I found my father already in the office. He had come in early to arrange some private business of his own, before starting upon a little tour of pleasure, accompanied by my mother, in which he said would occupy ten days or so. They were to leave that afternoon by one of the sound steamers, and mother was to meet him at the office in time for the boat. I have neglected to state that father had always kept his residence in the town in which our factory was situated, where also I had made it my home, coming and going to and from the city daily, until, as my responsibilities had increased at the store, and to save time, as well as having a liking for city life, during the past two years I had occupied a suite of rooms at a fashionable uptown hotel. It was not the most agreeable way in the world of living, But, as a number of my acquaintances, business and social, managed to subsist in the same manner, and as, consequently, I did not lack for company, and besides, often managed to turn a little business among the former during the evenings, I did not object to it, for a while at least. Part of my meals I took at the restaurant in the house, and a greater part of them at my club in the near vicinity, besides often dining with the Lindley's, and, as I have said, passing the nights there. I frequently passed the Sundays at home with my folks, and often ran over there between times, thus retaining a very pleasant domestic and social connection in my native town, so that altogether I did not have much time to pine in my bachelor quarters. To return to the story. Shortly after my arrival at the store, I was called out on a business errand down the street, and, on my return a few minutes later, I found Jerry, the servant up at the Lindley's, awaiting me he hastily handed me a note addressed to me in Mr. Lindley's hand, which, upon tearing open, I found to run as follows. Tuesday morning. Fred, your diamonds have been stolen in a very mysterious manner while we were at breakfast. Come up at once if you can. If you think proper, you may confer with the police on your way, but would advise that you do so in a way to avoid publicity. Yours hastily, James Lindley. Concealing my excitement as much as possible i first dismissed jerry with instructions to hurry home and report that i would be up right away and then telling father that i was called out upon very urgent business and requesting him to look after matters in my absence i left promising to return in time to see him and mother before they left on their journey i decided to go at once to detective headquarters and secure the services of an officer there in whose shrewdness i had great confidence he had been employed by us in business of a similar character connected with the robbery of one of our traveling salesmen, which resulted in his cleverly capturing the thieves and recovering most of the stolen goods. He was not at the office when I arrived there, and, quite impatient and not a little excited, I was about leaving without divulging my business when he came strolling in. Quietly stepping up to him and saluting him, in as few words as possible, I stated the nature of my business and requested him to accompany me at once, to which, after a moment's interview with his chief, he agreed, and, calling a carriage, we were soon on our way. This man, Sloane by name, was no different in appearance from the hundreds of men whom one daily meets about town. He was a fair-looking man of perhaps fifty years, of average size and weight, dressed in an ordinary business suit of gray checks, clean linen, well-brushed shoes, and the conventional round top hat of the day. He looked neither more nor less like an ordinary businessman or a smart clerk. His manners were easy, and his whole appearance rather pleasing than otherwise. His reputation in his calling was high, both at headquarters and among the business community, with whom he had extensive and varied experiences in his line. As I had no further information to impart on the subject in hand than was contained in the few lines from Mr. Lindley, our conversation on the way up town was general, and I found Mr. Sloane to be a fair talker, but a better listener, which, perhaps, was more in his way. We soon arrived at the house and were met at the door by Mr. Lindley, who, upon my introducing Mr. Sloan, at once invited us into the library for consultation. The old gentleman was somewhat agitated and seemed relieved and pleased at our arrival. As soon as we were seated, with rather a forced smile upon his face, he said, Well, Fred, our efforts to celebrate Kate's birthday appear to have had a rather serious climax, don't they? Well, yes, sir, I replied. Judging from your note, I should say it looks that way. But as I know nothing of the particulars, just how serious it may prove, I cannot, of course, surmise. As time is valuable in such cases to your friend here, Mr. Sloane, I believe you called him, I will at once repeat to you all the facts of the case so far as I know them. After you left last night, Kate took all the diamonds and placed them in the safe upstairs. This morning, before breakfast, she took them out and into her room, for a further comparison by daylight, as suggested by you, and her former choice being confirmed, she placed the pair selected in her ears for the purpose, as she expressed it, of stunning Pierre and myself at breakfast. Just then Jerry came and told her that breakfast was ready, and, as you know, Fred, that Kate must always look things over in the dining room before either the family or guests are summoned, She ran downstairs, leaving your diamonds carelessly exposed upon her dressing table. As breakfast was announced, on my way down, in passing the door of Kate's room and casually looking in, I saw the girl Winnie standing in front of the glass with one of the rings in her ear and apparently admiring the effect. Stepping into the room, I went toward her, when she, hearing me approach, pulled it out and threw it down among the rest. As she turned, she met my reproving glance in an embarrassed manner and hastily left the room, neither of us having spoken. With no thought that Winnie would steal the jewels, but with an idea of scaring Kate and reproving her for tempting the cupidity of the servants, I gathered the jewelry together in the box and, going through to my own room, placed it in a drawer of my dressing case and, locking the same, placed the key in my pocket and went downstairs. Pierre following shortly after, we were soon seated at the table. During the meal, Pierre chaffed Kate considerably over her poor taste in wearing diamonds in the morning. In answer to his good-natured taunts, she explained her reason for doing so, that she wore them especially to please him and me, and more the same view. I put on an innocent face, and asked her if, before coming down, she had replaced the balance of the diamonds in the safe. Upon her replying in the negative, and acknowledging that she had left them exposed in her room, assuming a very serious manner i read her quite a lecture on her oversight in thus tempting the servants of the house to say nothing of the great risk of our becoming the victims of prowling thieves of whom we hear so much nowadays pierre joined me in what he evidently considered merely a little innocent tantalizing of his sister as of course he was ignorant of the scare i had prepared for kate as a further warning to her we succeeded in getting her into quite a ornament over the affair After Pierre had hurried off downtown, which he did as soon as breakfast was over, Kate left me at the table, saying she would go up and put away the jewelry, thus easing my mind, although she had not thought of any danger, and thought that I was more than usually apprehensive of it. Chuckling to myself, I followed after her, and had just reached the door to the library here, when I heard Kate coming down the stairs, and, turning to meet her, saw that she was greatly agitated over her discovery. She beckoned me in here in a most excited manner, and scarcely able to talk at all, she told me that the diamonds were gone, box and all. I tried to appear horror-stricken at her words, while I had to labor to keep from laughing at the success of my ruse. I repeated my scolding over her carelessness, said I told you so, and otherwise treated her rather cruelly for a few moments. When I thought that she had been sufficiently punished for what, after all, was a perfectly natural, if not quite excusable, offense, I tried to pacify her excitement, which kept increasing. I finally told her of what I had witnessed on my way downstairs, of my having put the jewels in a safe place, and now that she was through with her lesson, I would go up and get them for her to put in the safe until they were called for. Inwardly pleased at the success of my little scheme, I went up to my room followed by Kate, unlocked the drawer, and drew it out, when, to my dismay, I perceived that the diamonds were missing. Search the drawer as I would, not a sign of them could I discover. I tried the other drawers, hoping, as a person will in such a case, that I had mistaken the proper one. I looked into all kinds of impossible places and receptacles, but they were gone, and, up to this time, no clue of them has been found. And it looks now, Fred, as though you had made sale of the whole lot instead of a single pair of them, as, of course, I am responsible to you for their value. Well, Mr. Lindley... We are not discussing that side of the case just now. Though, if it will relieve you to know it, I may state that there is considerable doubt in my mind about your having any responsibility at all in the matter. But what we want to know is where the diamonds have gone. And it would please Mr. Sloane, I imagine, to know also something pointing toward the person who took them. While we have only a selfish interest in the value of the jewels, Sloane, you know, has, in addition to a slight interest therein, as indicated by the amount of his reward, if they are found, also a professional interest looking to the capture of the thief. "'Is that about it, Sloan?' "'There is some truth, Mr. Hopkins, in what you say, and as time is of great importance in these matters, the quicker we commence looking into it, the better show we shall have to make any headway in what looks just now like a somewhat mysterious case.' And Sloan put on a serious face as he quietly arose from his chair. ''Suppose we go upstairs and look over your rooms a little, Mr. Lindley,'' said Sloane. Mr. Lindley, acquiescing, led the way, and we all went up, nothing being said by either of us, until we reached Mr. Lindley's apartments. These rooms were at the back of the house, while Kate's apartments, upon the same side of the hall, were at the front. They each comprised a large sleeping room with boudoir attached, the two sets communicating by a door between the dressing rooms. This door just now was open, as Mr. Lindley had left it when he passed through to secrete the jewels. End of section 2